Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. We are so glad you're here today. We're kicking off a brand new series. In fact, if you came last week uh, for Easter Sunday, and then uh, we didn't scare you off enough to be able to come back this week, we're so glad that you did. Uh, we teach in series here, so uh, I'm going to talk about something for a few weeks until I get sick of talking about it. You get sick of hearing about it, and then we move on to the next thing. And uh, this idea for this series, I want to I create the context for you. Um, eight years ago, I was on staff at a church in Bothell, Washington, which is on 405, just north of Seattle. And I was doing kids ministry. So working with uh, kindergartner through sixth grade. And I, that's how I would spend my Sunday uh, mornings and uh, voluntarily. And then I would be like midweek, we had the building, we'd have to clean it and do all that kind of stuff. And I remember anytime I'm doing like uh, any, any sort of busy work like that, uh, where my hands are kind of busy, but I, my mind is free, I, I will typically listen to some sort of an audiobook or podcast. I love that kind of stuff. And I listened to a podcast from a, a preacher at a church over in Atlanta, Georgia area that has been kind of like my pastor, my entire, like since sophomore year of, of college. And he doesn't know that because um, we've only met once and it was by accident. And, and, uh, and But I, I uh, have listened to him forever and I, I loved his stuff. And I listened to this message series. It was called Guardrails. And I thought, this is so brilliant. I remember I took the podcast home and I said, Kylie, you need to listen to this. And we listened to it together. And I remember in that moment um, saying to myself, and, and realizing like I had grown up with guardrails in my life, though I would never have used those words. And, and I had had a leg up on some of my friends who grew up in home environments that guardrails were not in place. And I didn't realize how blessed and lucky I was, though I probably wouldn't have put it in those words as a high school student experiencing the pain of guardrails. Um, and also, I'd read a book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. That, uh, the, also, this whole series kind of put all of those into words. And I remember thinking in that moment, if I ever get a chance to speak to adults, not to kids, because kids, these, you know, fourth graders don't care about boundaries and, and guardrails, um, and they don't even understand the concept of, of guardrails. Um, but if I ever get a chance to speak to adults, I want to do this series. I want to copy this uh, and, and, and make this. So it, what I'm saying is I stole this entirely, okay? So if there's anything good as a result of this, it probably did not originate with me, which is probably more true than, than I would like, care to admit in general. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a really good thief when it comes to content. Um, however, and if there's anything bad that like, oh, that didn't really make sense, that's probably me trying to make it unique to my own personality, okay? Um, so, but I just remember this is just a super powerful series. And here, here's the idea. We all know what guardrails are. Uh, you've seen pictures of them before. They, they're on roads, typically around curves or uh, on the side where there's a, like a cliff on the other side or a median between oncoming traffic to keep you protected. They direct us and they protect us. They show us the direction in which the Washington State Department of Transportation would like us to go and they protect us from other drivers who may, or, or other um, things on, on, on the road that could potentially lead to potential danger for us. We've seen them, we've felt their presence. Guardrails are just a system designed to keep vehicles from strain, and that's a key word there, right? Because at no point do you think, I think I'm going to drive my, my car off a cliff uh, or I'm going to drive into oncoming traffic. You would never think I'm going to do that. But these are there to remind you that those things, those dangers exist. Therefore, stay away from them, uh, straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. And we're not, we, we're very, we don't pay attention to them very much until we actually need them. And if you've ever hit one, you, you, you know that they have protected you from something far more dangerous. And here's what you've noticed too. You felt this and, and, and can sense this. They are never placed in the danger zone. They're always placed in the safe zone. It is still safe to drive where guardrails are placed. And yet nobody really ever thinks, I wish those were moved a little further out to the edge. 
that would be a little bit better because that feels like a safe area to be able to drive. That would be. However, they're placed in the safety zone and logically, and until, unless you've driven across the pass uh, within the last, I don't know, say 30 years, um, when they're doing, they're doing construction on the pass, and they have been since I was two, and, and, and all of a sudden, whenever there's temporary road closures, they create, they move the boundaries over and they you know, shift some lanes. And I, I, for me, it feels like those guardrails are like, here's the line, here's the guardrail. And I'm always like white knuckle on this thing all the way through the pass um, because the guardrails feel real, real close. And I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to, you know, I, don't, I hate having cars beside me, all of that stuff. We felt that. But it, it makes sense for us. They're placed in the safety zone, never in the danger zone in this way. And here's the thing. Guardrails are designed to minimize damage, not to eliminate damage. If you hit one, you will experience damage, but the damage will be minor in comparison to if they weren't there and had you gone off the edge, right? If you hit a guardrail, you may have to go to an auto body shop, but hopefully you will not have to go to a hospital. That's the point of guardrails, okay? They keep you safe in that way. So Listen, we know this. If you've been driving for any length of time, you understand the concept of guardrails, which is why I can never talk about it to fourth graders, but I can talk about it to adults, right? But why are we talking about this now? Here's why. Because guardrails are not just important for the freeway system. They are potentially important for life as well. This entire series for about five or six weeks, we are going to be talking about guardrails in our life that keep us from going off into the ditch morally, professionally, relationally, financially, and you can think back on some of the biggest regrets in your life. And if you were to do so honestly, you would probably come to the conclusion, had guardrails been in place, I may have saved myself from that regret. You can think of a time where you went off into the ditch professionally or morally or financially, and, and you can now, you, now from the hindsight being 2020 as it is, you can think about how if only I had set up guardrails in place, perhaps I could have avoided that regret. And by the same token, if you take that from observance of the past and point it towards the future, could there potentially possibly be an opportunity to avoid having major regret if you choose, and if you so chose, to put guardrails in place to protect us from that? That's the point of this. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, in this way. So I've got a new definition for you, a, a definition that uh, assumes guardrails, but in the whole life scenario. Personal standards, here's the definition, personal standards of behavior that become a matter of conscience. Personal standard, and the key word there is personal. In other words, I, this would be something for me that is not, may not necessarily be true for everybody, but knowing what I know, I need these things to be in place. Now, the danger has become that when we, when the church or the you know conservative Christians have a tendency of establishing guardrails for themselves and then prescribing them for society in general, and that doesn't necessarily work out. What I'm talking about is these guardrails. I need. I, I recognize. I need something in place in my life based on my past history, based on my family of origin, based on my history with addiction in this area, or based on my propensity to go a little further than what I'm comfortable with in the past, I may need to establish some guardrails that are in the road, the safety zone. It would be fine if I did this from a like moralistic standpoint. There'd be no judgment from other people. There'd be even people I care about would be like, well, that's still okay, but you're getting awfully close to the edge. So I'm gonna choose to put guardrails in the safety zone so that I don't find myself falling into a ditch. Now, here's a couple of things you need to know about guardrails. Uh, number one is that culture does not encourage guardrails. 
Culture is not enamored. They don't even like them. They laugh at them. They mock them. They think that they're funny. Um, for the most part, um, they, the culture operates without a sense of guardrails. Uh, and, and so one prime example of this uh, that, that has shown up recently is maybe you've heard of what's called the Billy Graham rule. And the reason that you've heard about this rule is because recently it became the Mike Pence rule. Billy Graham, throughout, he was America's pastor, long time uh, a spiritual advisor for presidents across both political aisles, um, did the whole rallies, just recently died. And one of the things that he lived with his entire life, and I know this because I grew up in a religious home, and this was constantly talked about, and my dad would practice parts of this stuff or, or some of this stuff, or other people would kind of assume these things. Billy Graham chose to say, I, you know, I know me, and I'm going to choose. And he, he never legislated this for like pastors everywhere or Christians everywhere, but he, he, he internalize this. And for me, I'm going to refuse to be alone with somebody from the opposite sex over dinner. We're not going to share car rides together. We're not going to travel together. Um, that's just not going to be a thing for me. Now, Mike Pence kind of took that some of that on. And there has been some pushback in society recently because culture doesn't like guardrails in, in the sense that this is speaking into or allowing uh, this idea of the discrepancy between sexes in, in terms of jobs, right? So this is affecting women's ability to get the right jobs because they can't hang out the uh, on that off time, or they're not getting paid the same as men because they don't have the connection with the upper leadership that they, that they would have had. And so this has been, this has come out and it's like this conflict. We don't like those guardrails. Um, and uh, we think that you've misapplied them in this way. And so there's an article that was written in the Harvard Business Review by two men, by the way. Um, and here's the title of the article. Uh, men shouldn't refuse to be alone with female colleagues. Lots of great data supporting how this this, this guardrail specifically is feeding into this discrepancy between the sexes. And it had a lot of deconstructionism or deconstructing viewpoints on this uh, guardrail in Billy Graham's life, right? And uh, typically, we are very good deconstructions. We can point out why things are wrong, and we spend a majority of our time and a majority of our moral authority pointing out ways that these things are wrong, and we have a very um, weak view of reconstruction as here's what we would do in place. This, this article, specific article, was about three pages long. At the very end, there was one paragraph about, then what do you do? How do you respond to this? I want to read this for you, and I want to show you this on the screen. Here's what it says. Here's their, here's their what do we do about this. So what's an evolved male leader to do? And the simplest terms become what we call a thoughtful caveman. That's what we're supposed to be, gentlemen, a thoughtful caveman. Isn't that great? Healthy, mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture. Now, confession, I read this article three times. I don't know what this means, okay? <laughs> I know it has to do with neural, like in terms of our brains, and I get what architecture means. Something about our makeup, we need to understand that we have a propensity towards some of this, and so you just need to be careful in that way. I think that's what they're trying to say. But immediately... Um, as I, I read this, I realized this wasn't, the, this wasn't the hardest thing to understand in this article or this paragraph. The most hardest thing to understand was this phrase right here, healthy, mature, self-aware men. Because there are a lot of single women in this room right now that are thinking, I've never met one of these. If you know of one, could you introduce me? It feels like a unicorn. It feels like a Sasquatch, that I'm not sure that those actually exist, all right? I say all of that not to pick a side and to say Billy Graham was right or this Harvard Business Review was right. I, I, that, that's beside the point. What I'm saying is the culture does not like generally uh, this idea of guardrails because it feels like somebody's not 
self-policing. It feels like they're kind of legislating this or saying, well, if you really wanted to be a good person, here's what you would do. And it feels like it's like you're imposing your standards onto me, right? Instead, society or culture often operates with what we're going to call painted lines. We've seen painted lines on roads. They're less imposing than guardrails. You can cross over a painted line or hit a painted line, and there might be little bumps, drunk bumps, we call them, that kind of like wake you up and be like, oh, that's not good. Come on over, right? But in those moments, they are far less damaging than a, uh, than a guardrail. They are painted lines. And they're great and, and appropriate, and there should be, and there should be painted lines in addition to guardrails. As somebody who would say guardrails are important, that's exactly what they would say. In the, but in this moment, perhaps it's not quite enough. Perhaps we've settled too, too easily for a painted line. Let me give you a couple of examples of painted lines in our society where there's no guardrails, there's just painted lines, right? Number one that immediately comes to mind is the end of almost every beer commercial, usually in a hashtag at the bottom of the screen, it says, please drink responsibly. Drink responsibly is a painted line. It is a, hey, we really think you should be careful about this. Don't drink and drive, don't do this. Have some, have some sort of responsibility when it comes to drinking. Here's the problem with that. Like, we are not really sure where the line of irresponsibility is. And you've never been at Gaslight and looked across at your friends and asked the question, am I drinking responsibly or irresponsibly at this point? <laughs> you've never asked that question, nor would you. You don't realize what's irresponsible until you're irresponsible. And then at that point, you just stopped caring that you were irresponsible, Right? And, and then it's like somebody drive me home, and, and, and that's, where, that's where it's at. So drink, so drink responsibly has been kind of a painted line in society where it's like, it's there, and it's, it should be there. We should be talking about that. But when you cross over that line, it doesn't, there's nothing that causes damage that keeps you there. It's just like you can go veering on past that pretty quickly. Another one, if you are a parent of teenagers, you understand this one. Teen, when it comes to teenagers and sex, the painted line that society paints is wait until you're ready right? That's the common, like either spoken or unspoken thing to teenagers about wait until you're ready, which feels like a very, like a painted line. And you can, and I, I, listen, I have a 10 year old daughter. Um, we, are, we have, we've had sort of the, uh, Kylie has had the sex talk with her. We're working on that. It feels very uncomfortable for me to think about that. I, I understand, you know, she understands how all this thing works. And, and I cannot see myself having that conversation with her or it just feels weird. Now, here's the difficult part for me too. I have a five-year-old son who has ADD and is a little bit crazy, okay? And I cannot imagine telling him, uh, wait until you're ready. Why? Because I did youth ministry for like seven years. I was in a small group of junior high boys. And I cannot imagine as a youth pastor telling them, all right, guys, we're all going to wait until we're ready because here's, what, here's the thing I know about them. Here would be their response. They would look at each other very seriously, trying to keep a straight face, and then look me, and with all the genuine authenticity they could muster, look me in the eye and be like, we're ready. And I'd be like, the fact that you're saying that means that you're not, okay? You are not ready. And they were like, we, are, we were born ready. We were born ready. That's what they would feel like, right? That's such a, that's, it's a painted line. And, and I, listen, is it bad? No, not necessarily. I mean, that's a great conversation to be had. And I don't know where the line is for you. That, that's, a, that's your own decision. Congrats on being a parent and figuring that out uh, for yourself. But that is a painted line. Culture is fine with painted lines. They don't really like guardrails in place. However, here's the interesting part of it all, ready? Here's the big twist and the turn. 
Even culture shames and mocks us when we end up in a ditch. We don't want a guardrail. We prefer a painted line, but don't you dare cross over that thing. Don't you dare drink irresponsibly because when you do, we will mock you and shame you and say, you've got a problem. He's got a drinking problem. He's addicted. They are out of control. How dare you? When it comes to relationships, when you, you know that there's kind of a line about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for a work partner from, of the opposite sex or whatever, and, and, and I'm going to kind of tease my way over the line. I'm going to get really close. And then all of a sudden, when you go off into the ditch and you ruin your, your marriage relationship or committed relationship, and culture would look at you in shame and be like, I can't believe you would ch- you're a cheater. You are a cheater. How in the world could you throw it all away? She was a good girl. He's a good man. And you threw it all away. How dare you? Shames and mocks us when we fall into the ditch or find ourselves in the ditch. We don't like guardrails. We prefer painted lines, but don't you dare screw up. Interesting. Interesting how guardrails work in our life. Now, there's a passage in scripture that I think Paul introduces us to this idea of guardrails because here's the deal. He understands that there are guardrails in place for those of us who are Christians that have been imposed or inferred from our Heavenly Father that have kind of come down through scriptural wisdom for us. And just like you would expect any good dad to have good, if you love your kids, you establish guardrails in their, uh, in their way, right? You, or a good mom, whatever. You have these rules in place and you tell your kids, uh, I want you to be home. Curfew is 11. And then they say things like, oh, but, but Billy, his curfew's not till midnight. His parents don't care. That's fine. That's, that's for Billy's family to figure out. But in this family, under this house, as long as I'm feeding you and clothing you, here's the deal. You are not, blah, blah, blah. Here, you are not, here's the guardrail that is in place to make sure that you don't do this. And, and your kids, they fight and they push back and, and, and they, they, they struggle. And you have this conversation with your spouse. And you're like, are we being too hard on him? Are we, are we setting things up too, too much? And, and but for some of you, you grew up in a home with no guardrails. And you, you, you had lots of different regrets and you suffered the consequences of living with no guardrails. And you thought, man, when I'm a parent, that's not how it's gonna be for my kids. When I get a chance to do this, I'm going to impose some guardrails on my kids, not because I don't like them and don't want them to have fun, because I care about them too much. And, and you know, I'm going to probably be too conservative in this way. And as they grow up, those guardrails get a little bit further and further. And hopefully your, your hope is this. My hope is when they have the choice, when they get the opportunity, when they're old enough to be able to choose that they choose the wise option. When their prefrontal cortex is fully developed and they can understand that the decisions I'm making today affect my tomorrow, hopefully they will choose what is proper and true and wise in this moment. All I can do right now when they're not at that stage, when their brain is not fully functioning is to help direct them and protect them. Help direct them and protect them. And the way that I do that is through guardrails. Now, you would expect that from a good earthly father. We can then expect that as well from a good heavenly father, which is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter five. Paul writes a letter to an Ephesian church, a church in Ephesus. Now, we've talked about this verse, uh, this passage, this, this chapter a few times uh, recently, but not this specific collection of verses. But I've, I've mentioned that Ephesians is a letter written by Paul uh, to a church where he's dealing with major, like two things, like very clearly, distinctly. There are six chapters in the book. The first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ. It speaks to identity 
identity. It speaks to like general broad stuff. And then chapters four, it like transitioned, verse one of chapter four uh, transitions into very specific. Therefore, as, as uh, those beloved by God, here's how you should then live. Here's how you live this. As, as somebody who's like a prisoner of this, but not like in a, in, a, in a bad way, but who finds themselves under the authority of God then and their identity in Christ, here's then how you should live. Here's how you should operate. And he gets very, very specific. And he begins to go into behaviors that Christians should embrace and behaviors to stay away from and avoid. And at one point, it feels like right here at about verse 15 in chapter five, he realizes um, I need to get even more specific. And he begins to define, he would not say guardrails because those didn't exist in that time, but he begins to define what we are going to classify as guardrails, right? Personal standards of behavior that are in an attempt to understand what God's will is for us. He begins to say them and then go real deep dive specific into one specific topic. We're going to look at it today and, uh, and go there. So some of it, this first part is going to be very um, uh, relatable, even if you're not really a church person. And then it gets a little bit more specific towards Christianity at the very end. So verse 15 says this, be careful then, Sorry, be very careful then how you live. That word live there can also be translated as walk. And throughout scripture, uh, Old Testament and New Testament scripture, specifically like Proverbs, uh, talks about the way of faith is really like a walk. Life is a journey and you need to walk in the way of the Father. So there, there's, a path, uh, there, there's um, passages in Proverbs about your word is a lamp unto my feet, it lights my path. It shows me the next steps to be able to walk on. That's the definition of life. So a better way of reading this, and, and some translations interpret it this way, is be very, then, be very careful then how you walk. If you've ever come to my house, because we have two small dogs, um, you, I, and those would be words that I would, if we went out into our backyard, because we have a little back patio with a fire pit and all this kind of stuff, and in our lawn, we have small dogs. And so their little things, their little presents they leave behind are very, very small. My advice to you is always, even if, even if I've gone out and scooped because I knew you were coming over, I would say, be very, very careful how you walk. If you have a large dog in a small yard, you get this, all, you get this a lot. You understand exactly what this means. Be very careful. Always be looking around where you walk. It's like a defensive walking around, right? And then he goes on. Be, care, be very careful then how you live or walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom has always been, through Scripture, the pinnacle of if we could operate in all wisdom, that would be the ideal. Not to have unbelievable knowledge, but to walk with wisdom, when Solomon is given the opportunity to ask for anything, he doesn't ask for a wealth of, of, of money or the ability to, to uh, discern right from wrong. He asks for wisdom in this area. It is much, the, 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 most, uh, the most specific or, or, or best way to live would be to walk in wisdom. It's not enough to know the right answer. You've had the right answer sometimes. You've said the right answer, but it's been at the wrong time. And you realized I shouldn't have said that. It's not, it's not always wise to be fully honest. How does this look on me, honey? Great. That is a, great is a wisdom response, even when it's not the truthful response. Does that make sense? I would rather be wise than brilliant and intellectual, okay? That's what he's saying here. Walk with wisdom, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity which literally means redeeming the time that you have. We know this more so from looking back. And what I mean by that is you can, all of us can think of a time in our life where we wish we could go back and redeem the time that we wasted on something. 
I wish I could have freshman year back. I wish I could have my first marriage back. I wish I could have the years between X and X because I was doing some stupid stuff and, and, and from a financial standpoint, it was very, very wasteful. And I wish, I wish I could have those things back. In the same way we can look back, he says, listen, you take that and you shift it forward and you say, make the most of your time now, redeeming your future. You already know what it's like to waste your time. You have a limited amount of time. You can never know exactly how much you have left. So therefore, operate with wisdom, making the most of your time. And he goes on, here's why, because, here's his definition of because, because the days are evil. What do you mean, Paul? Do you think that uh, during that time frame, like, because we think, we look at our society right now, and we've read the paper, we get the news, or we get the, you know, updates on our phone, and and we think you either are one of two categories, right? The world's getting progressively better. Technology's, uh, you know, making all of this uh, more accessible, news more accessible, and, and there's more f- clean water being to more people than ever in the history of the world. Or you look at the news and you think, uh, we're using now chemical weapons, in, not we, but there are chemical weapons being used in Syria that are, I mean, it's just, it's horrible. We, we think of it's getting progressively better or progressively worse. And for a lot of people, we look at it and say, it's not good. The outlook is not good. The days are getting more and more evil. And in this moment, too, he's not talking about necessarily culture as a whole, as much as uh, I think he's talking about, uh, or in addition to, I should say, walking and living life defensively. Um, remember as a, as a kid in high school, when your parents, um, you, you said it's New Year's Eve, I'm going to go over to Billy's house, we're going to watch the ball drop on TV, or we're going to go to this party, or we're going to do whatever. And they said to you, the same thing they probably said to me, is I need you home, and I want you in the house by 1230, right? You can stay until midnight, and then you get in your car, and you drive home. Not because I don't trust your driving after midnight. I don't trust other people's driving after midnight on New Year's Eve, right? The most DUIs per whatever time, you know, it's like all of a sudden in that moment, you realize, all right, the days are evil. What he's trying to say is there are things outside of your control. I don't even mean this just for you. There are things out there that can take you out even if you're living your best life now, you live in a culture where it's not enough to be careful about what you're doing alone. Therefore, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Don't be a fool. And scripturally, a fool typically means somebody who has the inability to connect the dots between their past, their present, and their future. I don't see how my behavior in the past affects my current circumstances, and I don't see how what I'm doing now affects my future. Um, I, I think I'm living for today. Today's the most important thing. And whenever people go, hey, you really, have you thought about, have you thought about what that decision is going to do in the future? And you're like, I, I just, uh, it's a, a foolish mentality says right now is all I have. It's also the context of every Pitbull song ever written, right? <laughs> I don't have rent money, but you know what? I'm going to blow it at the club tonight and that's fine. It'll be, and you, you listen to these things and you're like, not only is this a terrible song, but the context is, is absolutely pitiful. You're terrible. This is terrible advice, right? Every parent, every landlord, everybody's like, no, 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 no. How you, what you choose to do tonight affects your, anyways, that's, that's the idea of being foolish, right? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, but understand what the Lord's will is. That word understand there is actually in the original language, the Greek is a command. It's like you, you understand. 
right? A command to understand, which is always hard because you're like, you remember as a kid, your teacher would be like, just understand this. And you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. How do I do this, right? But he's trying to say, listen, I want you to face up to and accept what you know in your heart God's will is for your life. You know this inside of you. Stop deceiving yourself. How many times do we play dumb, though we know what is potentially damaging for us, but we choose to do it anyways, and we live foolishly thinking that our behavior, our actions now have no ill effect on what we are going to become? This is Paul defining a guardrail for us. Don't you understand? You know you. You need a personal standard in your life, based on your personal history, based on your uh, family of origin, based on your like physical makeup, mental makeup. You have something, you, you, you have standards that may not be applicable for everybody else, but are super important for you. Face up to the reality of who you are and what your propensity is towards. Because it's important, you know you, be honest with yourself you know what's on the other side of that guardrail. A disaster for your marriage. A disaster for your career. Ah, it's cool. We're just friends. It's just like this little, it's like this playful banter. It's just, it's innocent flirting. That's all it is. Yeah, but you know you, you know you, you know that it's more than that. You know that you're flirting with disaster. You know that you've had a few close calls. And on the other side of that rail is marital disaster, potentially career devastating disaster. In that moment, are you going to be honest with yourself? Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for you. Because you've ever been in that moment, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody, if you've ever, ever sat across a coffee table um, like I have with, with people who have been in the ditch, they, they, they rejected guardrails, they lived with painted lines, they found themselves in a ditch, they experienced the shame and the mocking that comes with that from a worldly standpoint, and they look across from you and they try to explain it to you. How did I get there? Because nobody in plans to wreck their life any more than you plan to wreck your car. You don't plan to wreck your car. You don't plan to wreck your life. You just don't plan hard enough not to. And you look at them and you ask, how, how? I mean, how did it end up like this? And they say a phrase to you that you've heard. Well, one thing led to another. And then it was this. And then that led to this. And then that led to this. And then I'm in the ditch. One thing led to another. Listen, guardrails are the one thing that keeps us from exactly this right here from this idea of one thing leading to another. Now, in this moment, Paul has gone from like a general principle towards guardrails, and he's going to transition into something very, very specific. And we're going to go there, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, and I think that that just needs to be okay with me, okay? So offer me a free pass, and if you get super offended, then um, you can write me a note or, um, or just come back next week, or, and we'll, we'll move on from it and act like it never happened, okay? But uh, verse 18 says this, do not get drunk on wine. Let me get, he goes, let me illustrate a very specific guardrail for you. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, if you grew up in a home like I did, uh, we're, we're conservative from a, a drinking standpoint. The, uh, the, the phrase that my wife and I, we both obviously different homes, but same sort of mentality was 
Drinking's not a sin. We're not going to drink, but drinking's not a sin, but getting drunk is. And I remember um, we had that, we carried that with us, and we went over to this church in Bothell where this idea of drinking uh, is not a sin was like drinking is fun. That's like, a, it was a different sort of environment for us, and we were very, very uncomfortable. And um, it was, we, were, we went to a staff retreat, and they brought a keg to staff retreat, you guys. And Kylie and I are up in the room going, what have we signed up for here? I don't even know if they're going to heaven. Like, I don't know. Like, who does this, right? And it was at this, uh, in this environment that I, I uh, at, at the church, I, I listened to that podcast that, that, I, that I mentioned that, that there was the birth of this series. And, and at this point, Andy basically looks at it and goes, hey, listen, being drunk isn't a sin. It's a guardrail. And I was like, I just like stopped the, stopped the uh, vacuum. And I was like, I'm sorry, I think I heard you say, and, he, and for him, he's like, listen, guardrail for me is I don't drink at all. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I've never, I've never, his, his reasoning was, was great. It was brilliant. It was, I've never heard somebody go, we were having some marital problems and then we started drinking and everything got better. He's like, that's never happened for me. And so I just felt like I've never had like our family's going through some turmoil and then we all decide, you know what, let's do shots. And then everybody was just like, great. You know what I mean? So he's, that, that was his reason. And he goes, listen, I'm not, pre- I'm not prescribing this for everybody else, just for me. This is my guardrail that, that, that drinking is not going to be a thing for me. And I, I remember thinking in that moment, okay, being drunk is a guardrail. Now, I, I know that there's some immediate pushback because this is a very sensitive topic. I get that. I understand that, right? There's some people, um, there, there were some people who watched last week. We showed this video, um, if you were here for Easter Sunday, of a man uh, like on the security footage trying to break into a car who was obviously stumbling around. Some, he was under the influence of something. We don't know if it was alcohol, but it was definitely, or he's just an idiot. I don't know, but it was something. And we got a couple of notes from some people. Hey, that's not funny. It's not funny to make fun of people who are, are drunk. And I get it. I, I I understand. I'm trying. I, perhaps we you know, reevaluate and added some filters on what we show on Sunday. That's, I get it. Um, and I, I, uh, I remember thinking in, in that moment, like, okay, this idea of being drunk is a guardrail means it might not be a sin, but it leads. It's but it's foolish, and it leads to something different. There are some people who go, oh, great, being drunk's not a sin. I have zero guilt. You know. Like, I came here today because I was drunk last night and felt bad about it, so I figured I could come to church and wipe my hands clean and dump that bucket out, but now I don't even have to come to church anymore, right? So, no, 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 no. Paul is trying to say here, and again, I know there's like a historical thing you could go into. Back in those days, um, wine was safer to drink than water. They didn't understand like water storage and the bacterial stuff that can kind of come in stored water for over two length of time. They, all they knew was, listen, water like makes us more sick than wine does. Wine's safer to drink. So, you know, wine can make you drunk, but water can kill you. So we're going to drink wine and, and, and it's going to be kind of watered down. It's going to be this and that and the other thing. But anyways, I get it. I understand all of that. The point of this is, is Paul is trying to say, this is a guardrail that is in place that I think is a very important guardrail for you. Here's Why? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, he's going to tell us why this is important, which leads to, and now we're going to play a really fun game. I want you to finish this phrase based on personal experience in your life or somebody that you know, right? Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to something really dumb, something or someone. That's typically how this ends, right? Here's how Paul says, this is a guardrail. This is why this is important. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Go ahead and put it on the screen. There it is. Debauchery. You're like, debauchery. Don't know what that is. Cool. (laughs) It means aggressive impulse, which results in you losing control. 
typically of sexual in nature, but just aggressive impulse. I'm operating impulsively to the point where I now am out of control. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that's what that meant. I've been there, right? But you would never use that word. None, none of you last night were like, you know, walking in this morning with your buddy going, dude, I totally got debauched last night. How about you, right? <laughs> Nobody says that. But you could, and you'd be really smart. And they'd be like, they'd be like looking it up on Google and be like, oh, man, my friend's so wicked smart. Anyways, listen, this is what he's saying. Don't do it to the point where you're out of control. That seems really foolish. That seems like an anybody in inability to connect that my actions here affect my future. Like, why would you ever go there? Why would you ever live in that? Drunk, being drunk is a guardrail. Unless you went to Wazoo, then it's the goal. But that's because <laughs> you grew up in Pullman. And there's not, anyways, I'm joking. Bad joke, probably inappropriate. Anyways, guardrail, in light of my personal history, in light of where I've come from, is what's my healthy and I talked to somebody in the lobby after first service, and, and he goes, hey, I get it. I grew up in a very conservative home. My guardrail still for me is not one drop. And, but you know what? And, and I've always been really resistant towards people who talk about it and you know, all the articles that come on Facebook about who's drinking a sin and we're going to you know, click hole into this whole crap. You know, it's like, he goes, I, I understand. Like for some people, it's, it's not an issue. And I, I understand for people, some people it is. I need to go, what is my personal standard that's going to be able to inform my conscience in this area. This is not a, a message on alcohol. I'm trying to talk about guardrails that are in place because it's funny until it's not because we know and have seen or we know personally or seen in society where it's gotten to the point of debauchery, impulsive to the point of lack of control, and someone gets hurt. And then there is a victim and a perpetrator of it. And then what do we do? Then we mock and make fun of the person who crossed the line. We don't like guardrails. We prefer painted lines. And as soon as you go that far, what's wrong with you? You have a problem. And someone gets hurt. And that, it's sad. It's sad. You watch those things. You've experienced those things. And you see those people and you know them and they're your friends and they're your family and you care about them. And you think it's so sad to see them. If only, and you would never, you wouldn't use these words, but if, if a guardrail had been in place, perhaps there would have been minimal damage, but it wouldn't have been in the ditch. It wouldn't have fallen off the cliff in this way. So then he goes on. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, and this is where, this is the point of, of, uh, of no return if, if, you're, uh, if you're not religious. All of this sounds like it makes really great sense and it's just like common, seemingly common wisdom and logic. Here's where the turn becomes a little bit more religious where if you're not a Christian, you get to take a, a free pass. You can uh, choose to agree or not agree. But if those of us who are Christians, this is, where we, this is where we line up. This is what we fall into, right? Don't get drunk on wine and leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit um, does not get a lot of airtime in Christianity today because it feels a little bit odd and feels a little bit weird and feels like a little bit ooh, ethereal and uh, a little bit new agey. And here's what it means. Um, here's the basic concept. I, 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 we, the whole treatment deserves like a series to go into, but basic Christian belief, doctrine, is that when you become a Christian, when you begin to shift your trust into the person in the teaching of Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender my will to your will for me. I want to do, spend my life trying to match up to what 
your directives are for me. Um, and in, it's called an indwelling of the spirit takes place. It mysteriously resides in you and operates and comes through or manifests itself or experienced by um, a, an uptick in your conscience, okay? Everybody operates with a conscience, but the religious standard belief doctrine is that uh, a conscience that has been influenced by the spirit is a little bit, a little bit, the, a little bit higher standard. The bar is raised even a little bit more. Everybody, we want to operate in civil society. And as a result of that, we all must operate with a conscience. But for Christians, it's a little bit more. And that's a personal standard of conscience that happens to be for us. So this is what he's saying. Listen, don't live as foolish. Live, wis- live wisely. Walk in wisdom. Don't be dominated by things that are going to control you or lead you to be out of control of your own physical body, but instead operate and live under the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit operation is not a screaming, it's not a nudging. A lot of times, just I'm speaking from personal experience, right? Uh, from, from what I've read and what I, what I think I, I know, the Holy Spirit operates kind of more as a, somebody who, it's like they're <clears throat> over your shoulder a little bit and they're like, <clears throat> and you're like, huh, what? Oh yeah, I shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? It's never yelling. It's never controlling. It's like, a. Uh, but have you thought about, I'm about to do this, but then I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't do that. Some of you are listening to that going, whatever that is, mine's broken. I want that. <laughs> but for me, listen, let me read through this again. Now that we've, I'm circling back, we've gone, we've gone through all of this. Be very, this is his advice. This is, this is guardrails general and then a specific one for him. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil, because we live, we must live defensively. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I said it before, I'll say it again. Nobody plans to wreck their life, their marriage, or their career by going off in the ditch. We just don't plan hard enough not to. Instead, what we find ourselves saying is this really, really common phrase that is so, so dangerous. Oh, I'll be careful. Remember as a high school student, it's okay, mom, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. I'll be careful. Listen, guardrails are how you be careful. Okay? Guardrails are exactly how you be careful. And it is much easier to discern God's will for your life with guardrails than without. And the reason why is simply this. Because all of this, uh, you know, from the first part all the way till that last phrase can feel a lot like a Tony Robbins event where it's like, oh, okay, I can become a better version of me. Yes, until you begin to learn what is instead is the option to lean heavy into being guided by the Spirit. Why? Because stepping away from what can harm you is a step towards the one who loves you. Stepping away from what can harm you is stepping towards somebody who loves you. So I want to close with this. Two quick questions. Insightful for yourself. This is not a uh, raise your hand. We're not going to like, okay, everybody stand up. If this applies to you. Uh, this is not elbow your neighbor and be like, you should hear this. This is really good for you, honey. <laughs> this, is, this is for you. Okay, here we go. Question number one, where do you need to start? Where do you need to start? I'm talking about guardrails. Maybe alcohol isn't your thing. But the, me- the mention of you need to face up to what you know about you and there are standards that may not be appropriate for everybody, but it's appropriate for you. And you know it is. And you know it should be. It's not currently. And you know I'm not going to be like the most popular guy at work if I choose to do this. Nobody's going to be like super impressed with me. I'm not going to like post it on social media and make this big old deal about it. But for me, knowing who I am, I need this. Because I do not want to throw away my marriage. 
I don't want to throw away my career. I don't want to throw away my finances because of stupid decisions. I need to put something in the safety zone, a guardrail that it is safe. I could still do this and probably be okay, but it is getting me too close to the edge of what I feel like. And it's not important. It's just not important. And I'm, listen, I'm not prescribing this for everybody. This is me. I get to control me. I get to control me. And based on my conscience, either just my limited conscience with, with what I have or this Holy Spirit influenced conscience, this is what's appropriate for me. And then number two is what is it that you need to face up to? What is it that you need to face up to? Where is it that you need to be honest with yourself? Where is it that you need to be like, okay, personal inventory for me, this is where I need to be honest with me. Listen, isn't this so good? This is why eight years ago, I stopped a vacuum and said to myself, if I ever get a chance to speak to adults, this is critically important. I'm trying to save you from a lot of pain and a lot of regret. The other option is, I don't talk about this or make this a big deal. And then six months from now, I spend multiple hours going out to coffee, hearing sob stories about how my life is a mess, my life is a mess, and my life is a mess. I like coffee. I'll buy you coffee. Let's not waste our time doing that because that also includes lots of regret and lots of consequences and lots of hurt people and ruined relationships and broken careers. So let's get on it early. Let's take personal inventory and say, for me, for me, because I know me, because I'm honest with me, I need a guardrail. I need a guardrail. And here's what it looks like. Let's pray. Father, oh man, there are some of us who uh, are so thankful for the guardrails that have been in place, either imposed upon us by our employer, our family, our parents growing up, maybe ourself if we're that self-aware, and those of us who have operated without some of these things, with just the painted lines, and we've been okay with that for the most part. And, and maybe we've had some close calls, but we've been safe, but we know. We know in the core of our being, it's just not, not, not worth it. God, give us so much in your, in your grace and your mercy. Give us wisdom to know what to do with this and the courage to act on it, to take action on it, the courage to come back and talk about this even more. In your name, amen.